0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was able to make the Bible relevant to the modern man. In fact, his sermons have grown no less important to those who hear or read them today. After Dr. Barnhouse remarried, he settled into a home on an 82-acre farm near Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Today, Doctor Barnhouse presents a study on Mark Seven, Thirty One, and Divine Healing. Mark Chapter Seven, beginning with verse thirty one. Mark Seven. For many months we have been studying the stories of the Gospel of Mark, and come to this last paragraph. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And Jesus took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, (coughs) and said unto him, That is, the Aramaic word for be opened. And straightway the man's ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And Jesus charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Last week we saw in the previous story the one excursion that Jesus Christ had made outside of the territory of Israel into Gentile territory. Here, departing from those coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the Sea of Galilee by the eastern border, the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. Now, Decapolis is just Greek, Deca is ten, and Polis is towns, the ten towns. Ten towns that were on the caravan routes from Mesopotamia, Babylon, from Damascus down to Egypt. The great caravan routes came through the ten cities. And Jesus came down into that country. It was far removed from Jerusalem. It was Jewish but on the fringes, and its life was much leavened by the life of the Gentiles. And here's the simple story of a healing. They brought unto Jesus this man that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. Now, to use this as a picture of the power of Jesus Christ is good, but entirely insufficient for an explanation of this passage. For if we want an illustration of the power of Jesus Christ, we can go to other passages and have much greater illustrations. There was Jairus' daughter who was dead, and he raised her from the dead. There was the nobleman's son who was dying, and Jesus healed him at a distance. Thy son is healed. There's Lazarus who had been dead for four days, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. So if we wish illustrations of the power of Jesus Christ, we have them in abundance, and power that seems much greater than the power that's manifested here. In this particular story, we must go beyond the mere physical and come to the spiritual aspects, because this man is a picture of the human race who was deaf and who was dumb. For in Adam, all men sinned and became deaf to the calls of God. God was speaking with voices of thunder in nature, and men were not regarding. In the first chapter of Romans, we have the story, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And the whole of the devolution of the human race, from its high oneness at the beginning into that degradation which ultimately led to the Stone Age and then man's long trip back up, came out of sin. Here is a picture of the impotent race. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ in this particular instance used means to cure the man. He put his fingers in the man's ears. He spat upon his own finger and touched the man's tongue. Why did he do it this way? I don't know. Perhaps he wanted us to have before us the illustration of the fact that Jesus was not bound by any one set of methods of doing things. His critics couldn't come and say, well, you see, watch him closely. He does this, then he does that, then he does this. No, every time Jesus worked, it was in a different fashion. And I think we'll see spiritual reasons for what he did in just a moment. But first, let us note this fact that He was in perfect control of the situation and could use whatever means he wished. In the Psalms, there is the prophecy, he sent his word and healed them. And we have several illustrations of Jesus healing at a distance, being perfectly well aware of the thoughts and conversations of men at a distance. And here, in the most intimate fashion, he takes this man away from the crowd and puts his fingers in his ears and it says he sighed. Why did he sigh? I don't think he sighed because of this one man. Here was a sigh that encompasses the love of God for the whole of the human race. In the Old Testament, we have God lamenting over his people. Oh, why sit ye here until ye die? Turn ye, O turn ye, for why will you die? A little later, Jesus will say as he weeps over Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee to my bosom as a hen gathereth her chicks? But ye would not. And here is God sighing over the human race because the human race will not listen to him. He created the human ear, and yet man will not listen. Occasionally man will. I think one of the most poignant passages in Whittaker Chambers' great book, The Witness, he points out the reason and the method of his conversion, how he who was a communist, the man who was the go-between between Alger Hiss and the Reds, how he came back to faith in God which of course destroyed his communism. He was holding his little baby in his lap. And this little baby girl was there on his knee and he began to look at her ear. And as he began to contemplate that little shell pink ear, he thought of all the tremendous involvements of nerves and muscle and all of the other things that go to translate human speech from sound and to take it to the brain and he said to himself, that ear could not have evolved. It must have had a creator. And he believed and it was contemplating the little ear of his daughter that brought that man to the knowledge of God and on his way back to sanity in many other fields of thinking. Jesus sighed as he saw this man before him who was deaf Jesus later on would weep over Jerusalem and say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee to my bosom as a hen gathereth her chicks, but ye would not. It was the same sigh, this weeping over the human race. Sometimes God has to do terrible things to men in order to get them to listen. The reason is because we've tuned our ears to listen to other voices and we forget his. During the course of my lifetime I've had a great deal to do with radio studios. I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times I've gone in to broadcast. And I remember very well a story, something that took place right here in Philadelphia in one of the major studios. It was at a time when my broadcast was in the afternoon. Toscanini was with the New York Philharmonic, and when he finished, I began. And when I ended 30 minutes later, another program originating in New York took place. Uh, I arrived every Sunday afternoon at the studio, and they had a skeleton staff. There was no one in the outer office. There were two or three fellows back in the control room and announcers, and that was all. And they knew me very well, and I walked right back into the control room one day, and next to the control room, because Toscanini was playing, and the wires were plugged in, and the music was coming out of the loudspeaker, and the fellows were in the next room playing poker. Five of them seated around the table. And I came in, and they said, hello, Doc, and went right on playing. And time was coming up, and they said, four minutes, we'd better lay off, and... The engineer went to his control panel and I was placed at my table in a little newsroom the other side. Uh, Where I sat, I could see the clock and by turning my head, I could see the control room and look through the window uh, here to the control room and through the window on the other side to the men at their game. They sat me down and when Toscanini finished, they pulled plugs and switched and the announcer leaned over my shoulder and made his announcement, and he said, Dr. Barnhouse will now speak. And I began to pray, and as I prayed, I heard the door close, uh, close and out of the side of my eye, I could see him going across, and by the time I finished my prayer, he had pulled up his coat sleeves and had sat down and picked up his cards, and the game was going on. And I went on for my minutes, And I saw that time was running out, and I glanced around, and they were totally oblivious to the fact that their time was running out, and that in a moment, they were all going to lose their jobs. And I didn't know how to call their attention. I couldn't stop suddenly and say, hey, fellas, quit your poker game. I was on the whole of the Columbia Broadcasting System from coast to coast. But I'll tell you how I called their attention. You see, these men who live and work in radio stations are so accustomed to noise that they never listen to what is being said. As long as noise is coming out of the loudspeaker music or a human voice, they tune it out and they go about their business never hearing what is being said. And so what I did, I began to speak faster and faster and louder and louder and I keep my voice up to a certain pitch and suddenly... I stopped short like that. And when I had increased my voice and come to that sudden stop, I was looking through the window and every head jerked up. And I made a sign like this. They knocked a chair over. One fellow skidded to his place at the control panel. The other man came behind me and I said, amen. And he said, you have just been listening to Dr. Don Graybar now. And they pulled their wires, and New York took over. And these fellows said, oh, duck, you saved our lives. You saved our jobs. And I probably had. But I couldn't help thinking of the fact that very often God God speaks to us, God speaks to us, God speaks to us, God speaks to us, and we tune him out. We have learned to live with the voice of God like radio announcers have learned to live with radio. And sometimes it takes a great silence. It'll come to one man in the death of a child. It'll come to another man on the battlefront. It'll come to another man under other circumstances. It came to this man in his deafness. And the Lord Jesus Christ had to touch him. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear, is a passage that you will find not once or twice or three times, but half-dozen a times in the Gospels and in the book of Revelation. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear, and God speaks, and we become so busy, so occupied, life and learning and society and doing, and she said and he said, and have you heard, did you see, did you know, have you learned? But we tune God out, and sometimes he has to make a silence in our lives in order that we may look up. Happy the man that learns to do this. Now, Jesus used many, many kinds of means, and so does God. I know a man that stood on the corner of Broad and Locust Street one day with tears streaming down his face as he told me, that in the Great Depression and the fall of the stock market in November 1929, he had been totally wiped out. And from being a man who thought he had a million dollars, he became a man who owed, I don't know how much, and had to leave his home and had to sell his car and move in with his in-laws. He said, but in it all, I found God and God found me. I know another man who told me, that an uncle had died and left him a considerable fortune that he did not know was coming to him. And he said, when I suddenly realized that I had several million dollars and that I had the control of it, i he was a simple man, and he said, I, I just said, oh, God, I'm not capable of doing this by myself. I need thee. With one man, it was the losing of his fortune. With another man, it was the coming of his fortune that brought him. I know a man that said... I never was interested in listening to God until my child died. And another man said to me, it was that day in the hospital when they brought that little bundle of life and put it into my arms, and I thought, oh God, I've got a son here. In the one case, it was the taking away of a child. In another case, it was the giving of a child. God works. In his infinite variety of works, God works, but always he's wanting... To put his fingers in your ears and unstop the deafness in order that you may hear him. Because let's face it, dear friends, you are on a road in high gear, and if you are without Christ, you're facing the precipice of hell. I'm not going to mince matters. As I've said before, anyone who calls a cancer a skin rash is foolish, and sin is a cancer. And it's deep-seated, and only God can touch it. And if your ears are stuffed and you are not listening to the voice of God, God says, and as in the book of Ephesians, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He will, too. You've got to be willing to listen to his voice. You've got to turn away from the little tawdry things that preoccupy you and learn that he has said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Sometimes people say, oh, you preachers, why do you get excited about doctrine and theology? For the same reason, if I'm driving down a street and see flames coming out of the third story of a house, I want to know if the family is in their front room looking at television and unaware of what's going on up above their heads. And I'm not going to say, but I haven't been introduced to these people. I'm going up, and I'm going to ring and pound on the door and say, fire! Why? Because there is fire. And if any man is an honest man and knows this book, if he's honest, do you think he can allow you to go your way without saying, look, you are in danger? There is heaven and there is hell. And if somebody says, how do you know? Well, in the first place, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he lives, he's God. And because he's God, he cannot be mistaken. And because he cannot be mistaken, everything he said is true. And because what he said is true, we must go to the 8th of John where he said, If ye die in your sin, whither I go, you cannot come. And if you believe not that I am Jehovah, you shall die in your sins. I didn't write this. I'm just the delivery boy with the telegram and say, here, it is addressed to you. I'm not responsible for what it says. I am responsible for delivering it and seeing that it gets into your hands. And of course, as I have applied this to the unsaved who need to come to Christ, I apply it also to those who believe in Jesus Christ but who do not listen to him in his desire to be Lord of your life, to be master of everything that you are, to control your thinking, to control your dimes and your dollars, your minutes and your hours, what you do on Saturday night as well as what you do on Sunday morning. For if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, as the old saying goes, he is not Lord at all. And he wants to be Lord in your life. Lord of your conversation. When you pick up the phone and say, "Oh hello, have you heard the latest news about and then begin your buzzardly work of God. He wants to be Lord of your home life, your business life, Lord of all of your relationships. Christ shall have come in and reach out through you. This is God's desire for you who have named his name. Then in the second place, the Lord Jesus did a remarkable thing. He took spittle and put it on the man's tongue. Why? I said to Dr. Coop, what's the function of saliva it keeps the mouth wet? you ever tried to talk when your mouth was dry? All cottony? And he told me this, that a lack of saliva is the rarest of all congenital diseases, that in all his history as a pediatrician and a surgeon that he had only known of one case in all medical history where a baby was born without salivary gland. You couldn't live if your mouth wasn't wet. You couldn't speak. When the Lord touched that man, it was as he sighed in doing it and said, If that be opened, the ears of his were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake. Because God doesn't want you to be dumb. Now, I'm not talking about dumb in the high school sense of using the word. You know, it used to be that there was in Philadelphia an asylum for the deaf and dumb. But about 25 years ago it was changed to mute because they said we may not be able to speak, but we are not dumb. And some of them are very smart indeed. The word dumb has changed its meaning from mute to stupid. Well, indeed, if you don't talk for Christ when you have the opportunity, you are stupid indeed. And God wants the string of your tongue to be loosed and he wants you to speak. He wants the unregenerate man to acknowledge him. How terrible it is that a man will not listen to the voice of God in nature. How stupid a man that cannot hear the daffodils talking in these days. How absolutely stupid a man that cannot hear the voice Of the flowering tree and see the whole of life pushing through the ground. And God says in the first chapter of Romans, the invisible things of him are clearly seen in the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So that a man looking today and saying, well, I believe in a supreme being And God says, you signed your death warrant when you said that. You committed yourself to hell. Because to say that you believe there's a supreme being and not get down before him and say, Oh God, I am a creature, and thou art the creator. Speak through to my heart and touch my tongue that I may acknowledge thee. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You cannot be a secret believer. If Jesus Christ has saved you and you know it, speak. When a baby is born, the delivery room becomes silent. The doctors, the nurses do not talk and all of a sudden the baby is born. Everybody has been giving their attention to the mother, but for a moment, all the attention moves to the child. They want to hear that child cry. They want to know that air has gotten into its lungs. Many a newborn baby has been spanked in order that he may cry. There have been doctors that have taken newborn babies by the feet, whirled them around their heads in order to get air there so that the child will ah, that's the sweetest cry and then they can turn their attention back to the mother now God Almighty wants you to speak and to cry babies that you are have you heard his voice? do you hear him crying in nature and do you hear him crying in the book and above all do you hear him crying from Calvary's cross and saying it is finished and then hearing God echo it from heaven by raising him from the dead That's it. And the minute you hear, do you say, yes, Lord? And is the tongue, is the string of your tongue loosed? And do you speak? Be thou open. Speak. Cry out with Job. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand upon this earth in the last day, and though worms destroy this flesh, this body, yet in my flesh, shall I see God. This is the life he wants us to know. This is what he wants us to speak. And straightway the man's ears were open and the string of his tongue was loosed. And he said, don't tell anybody about this. And if someone says, why did he say that? Because he knew that he had a long road to go yet before enough hatred would be stirred up by man to crucify him. And there were other passages that showed that when he fed 5,000 and when he gave them these things and healing, there were those that said, oh, this is a very good kind of social security. This is someone we should promote to being. We're even willing to admit he's Messiah if he'll just keep on handing us out free food and health. Why, this is uh, social security on a large scale. And they were not willing to bow before him and recognize that he was Jehovah God. And that's why he had to go on to the cross But at any rate, over in this part of the country, this was the part of the country in the Gadarene country where he had healed the demoniac and they had said, please, please leave our coast, go away. You've spoiled this herd of swine and you've hurt our business. Back now, Jesus comes to this same country. And when he heals this man that they brought to him, they were beyond measure astonished, saying he hath done all things well. Isn't that wonderful? He hath done all things well, and he has too. Oh, review what he's done for yourself. He hath done all things well. Wesley wrote it in one of his hymns, He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Hear him, ye death. It's a great verse of Wesley. Hear him, ye deaf. His praise your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold the Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. That's it. And when the Lord has put his fingers in your ears and touched your tongue and given sight to your eyes and healed your walk, then go forth to look and see and touch and be and recognize that there can be no joy on this earth as long as you remain in your senseless condition with spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness being a spiritual mute and a spiritual cripple. There is no power apart from Jesus Christ. There is only discontented existence. People that grasp after something and are disappointed if they don't get it and are disappointed if they do get it because it is not in things that there is satisfaction but in Christ. And God has made it so that no heart can have satisfaction unless they're centered in Christ. So let him put his fingers in your ear. Let him touch your tongue and take the dryness away from your mouth. Then you speak. Let us bow in prayer. Our God and Father, how we rejoice to be able to add our voice to that of the crowd that day that said, He hath done all things well. Oh, true, true, true. How true. This is our witness and testimony. We know because we were once dead in trespasses and sin. We once had dry mouth of the unsaved world and tried to satisfy it with all of the substitutes that the world furnishes for good health in thee we pray thee that thou shalt reach through to convict men and women in this hour of their need of thee if it's possible to arouse them for by a moment of silence bring them to that silence sometimes thou dost have to put us upon our back in order that we learn to look up. And we ask thee, our God and Father, that thou shalt work. And in the hearts of all of us who know thee, may there be that rejoicing that comes when we're able to laugh with thee, with hearts that seem enlarged with joy as we look into thy face Say thou, hast done all things well. We praise thee through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.